You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Winning Plays podcast. Brian Robb here, joined by Michael Pina. Rich Levine, unfortunately, cannot join us today, but we will be taking you through some reaction after the Celtics uh, ride out the brooms for a four-game sweep of the Indiana Pacers in the first round, and we'll be getting into game four, and just overall, what the heck we can learn from this series, Mike. Um, Before we do that, as always, please subscribe to the Winning Place podcast, rate us, review us on iTunes. Uh, We've really had fun interacting with you guys on Twitter as well. So if you haven't followed us yet there, please do so at Winning Plays Pod. Mike, first off, you predicted the sweep. So I think you have to um, take a little... Do you want to take a victory lap here? How do you want to handle this? Yeah, sure. I'll take a victory lap. But also, I should note that on Twitter, when I did my... I tweeted out my, my first round predictions for the the whole NBA playoffs, I had Celtics in five. Ooh. So I'm, I'm in a complete... So you're a flip-flopper. I, I, yeah. So I'll, I'll at least admit that because I know someone <laughs> would call it out. Um, on here, I did say Celtics in four. And before we started recording, I, I talked about... Uh, we were talking about how uh, the, the, the last regular season game the Celtics had against the Pacers in which they blew them out in Indiana, I, I just felt like there was just zero percent chance that the Pacers would win the series let alone be competitive and I mean they were competitive it was a it was yep. like a every game kind of went down to the the wire and except for game one but yeah like sure was... sure sure um but it was a super competitive series in an odd way and at the same time I mean I never had any doubt that the Celtics would lose any of the games I mean like just the talent disparity it's what we go back to every single time here um so I guess should we like should we start with the the winnies and the losies from yeah. Game Four? Is that should we? Do you want to kick that off? Yeah, let's go there. And um, I'm gonna have to go with I'm gonna have to go with Gordon Hayward, just because. I mean, I think like that's the obvious choice in that fourth quarter, based on what he did there. But I think that sequence where he took Miles Turner on back to back. Uh, possessions um, after switches was just was the game right there because especially since Turner had been kind of killing not like killing the Celtics all year long all series long in the paint but he had been a problem there for like Tatum Kyrie and obviously he had dunked all over Hayward <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think that was the second or third quarter and then he comes back and and Hayward just takes it to him twice in a row and honestly breaks down that whole Pacers defense and Tyreek Evans um, in that stretch, and that that essentially won the Celtics the game there. Yeah, the, those sequences were huge. The way that he kind of went out of his way to dribble, keep his dribble alive, back it out, recognize the mismatch, and then attack full speed against the best shot blocker in the league was very, very impressive and, and really good to see, obviously, if you're a Celtics fan. I feel like uh, he did that earlier than year, Mike, and it didn't go well. Like, like, I feel like it was just like, 
he would have that same back out mentality, but then it would end with like a bad shot or something like that. Yeah, I don't. I might be just. This might be just my bad memory, but it's. It seemed like when he would do that, it was kind of him trying to convince himself that he still could. And yep. yesterday, when you watched him do it, it was like, "Oh, I got this. Everybody, clear the clear the fuck out. Like this is this is me and Miles Turner going one on one here. Like I got this." And so uh, that's just a really good sign. Um, Again, if you're a Celtics fan, I, I, Gordon is my winnie as well. I, I, I thought that his aggression, uh, particularly late in the basketball game, was huge. And uh, it's really, it's it's like he's got the runner, he's got the floater game, he's got the the nice hesitation moves, the stop and goes, and, and everything seems to be working for him. But at the end of the day, when he's hitting that pull-up three, I, I just think, like, when those shots go in, it gives the Celtics, like, an extra pep in their step. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I, it, was, it was just super encouraging, I think, in a game where Kyrie didn't have it going and Al Horford couldn't, like, hit anything in the paint. That, I mean, I'll, I'll give some credit to, like, a lot of credit to Brad Stevens here. Because he, you know, the Pacers stuck with Tyreek Evans in the game in crunch time for the first time in this series. And he just drew a target on his back because he was guarding Hayward. So he put Hayward in the game and he literally just ran everything through him. And so obviously Gordon got the pull up, got the and one, but he also got two wide open corner threes from Marcus Morris. Mm -hmm. And that was strictly based on going at Evans, getting a double team and then moving the ball. Like, it was literally the same play over and over that was leading to great shots. And credit to Stevens for recognizing that. Credit to Hayward for obviously executing it. But also, encouraging, you don't need Kyrie to be, you know, amazing in crunch time to, to win on the road in the playoffs. I think that's that's pretty huge. And we should note, um, before we get to the Luzi, just looking at the box score of this game, Jason Tatum... Getting to the free throw line is always just a really good thing to see, right? Yeah, what do you have, so 12 there? 12, 9 for 12. Um, you know, finished with 18 points, only made four baskets. That's the type of game that I, I, I think will, like, come to define his career. Not that he'll be that inefficient, but just that he'll all, he'll just wake up with at least, you know, 18, at least 20 points, and he'll get it just, he'll get he'll, he'll accumulate that number, uh, like, at the free throw line when the shot is not falling. Um, so it was really good to see him be aggressive. Marcus Morris shot the ball well. Um, uh, Terry yeah, Rozier, him and Rozier, great, yeah, great game for the bench. Yeah, Terry Rozier shot the ball well. Um, I will say, like, I, I was, you know, watching this in between eating like ham sandwiches on my couch. <laughs> um, but why did why did Jalen not? I know, I'm looking at his plus minus was you know team low minus sixteen. Did he make some sort of mistake that I missed? And why why were his minutes so? Wow. I mean, I think it was a couple of things. I think, um, I think he was not great. He had a couple lapses in transition defense. I think over the course of the game mm -hmm. that that kind of pissed Brad off. And honestly, like Mook had it going. Mook was having a good game. So it's like, I know we saw the the return of the the original starting five, which we'll get into more later. Mm -hmm. um, but I liked it. I like Stevens. Like okay. Mook's hot today. He's playing well. Like Jalen has been, yeah. So like, don't force it. Just go off the hot hand. That's kind of the beauty of this team, right? Like, right. just the the depth that was a problem from through the first eighty two games. 
suddenly becomes a strength. And that's kind of what I think the Celtics envisioned when they put this team together. It doesn't really matter. That regular season is just such a roller coaster ride, and the playoffs is where everything matters. Um, game four, Luzi. Hmm. Do you have anyone? It's it's tough to find one on the Celtics roster. So feel free to you know cross the aisle if you need to. Um. Yeah, this is a really good one. Uh, I'm gonna go with well, like strictly off the numbers. I mean, Wes Matthews played a, a bad game. We've kind of come to expect that from him in this series. He wasn't really that much of a factor. Um, Doug McDermott not getting off the bench because he was not good enough. That's yeah, that's problematic. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was clear that he, he, I mean, he struggled to defend in the series. He wasn't hitting shots, and if he's not hitting shots, not really. And, and, and the Celtics have enough length and enough versatility to kind of take him away as a someone who can really disrupt you with their gravity. Then I don't really know what's what purpose he served. Um, I'm gonna go, even though he he shot. I'm just gonna go like Lucy for the series for them. Yeah, and, and I don't know what his plus minus was or anything for the four games, but the one player who I thought really disappointed, um, <clears throat> there's two actually, but the one that I'm talking about now is Thad Young, and mm. like I, I, he took a lot of threes, and he's not a three point shooter. He only went he went one for two in in game four. That's fine, and I of course still live with that. Um, but, you know, he is kind of lauded by basketball nerds on Twitter as being this, like, crafty, do-it-all player who rarely makes mistakes and he just fills in gaps and is so effective defensively, so disruptive, he's versatile, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, I mean, like, in a playoff series where his team needs, maybe it's unfair to criticize him um, because he's just not a scorer per se, someone who can create his own shot, but like he just, they needed that from him in this series because Sabonis didn't really show up and Sabonis is my other most disappointing player. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just didn't have it. So I I guess I'll just give that young Lizzie, even though, I don't know, I don't have anything personal (laughs) against that young. (laughs) I mean, the sad thing about the Pacers is that like almost anyone on that team could get the Lizzie for the series. I feel like because no one, like no one really played well for them. Like, no one played, not everyone played terribly, but no one, like, rose, you know, stepped up to the right. plate, like, raised yeah. their game. Um, I think I'm going to give mine to a two for a, the, the Turner Sabonis duo. And I, I just mm. think that they need to be, like, you know, after Bogdanovich, like, they needed to give this team something. And I feel like Al Horford just kicked the shit out of each of them over the course of these four games. Um, did you know Al Horford was having the best rebounding postseason in his career? In, this in his career? Wow. Yeah, from Based on his rebounding rate. I mean, again, it's four games, but that shouldn't happen at age 32. And that's that just shows impressive. you how... I mean, to me, it's like, okay, Al's... That's impressive, but it's also like Turner and Sabonis are soft as hell down there if Horford can do that. Yeah, and that's why they get the losey. <laughs> I think that I don't want to put. Too, I mean, so bonus is interesting because he would. There were still stretches where he was beasting Al in the post, right, and um, kind of having his way one on one when they wouldn't double, 
and then I don't know, like his minutes, it's just like, it was tough for McMillan to juggle when to play those two guys together. And it's really interesting because obviously, so bonus is a free agent or eligible for an extension uh, this summer. And I don't know, I don't know what you do there because Turner's making a lot of money and Sabonis, in my opinion, deserves as much, if not more in the right situation. But I don't think Indiana is that situation. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that's that. They're gonna yeah, they're gonna have a pretty interesting off season. They have a ton of cap room, ton of guys on expiring deals, mm-hmm. but um, but that will be they whether they can get anyone of use to come there or not will be the question. But now we we turn our attention to the second round here, and the Celtics obviously don't have an opponent yet, but they will likely be facing the Bucks. So what? What should you do here in the next week with all this downtime? Um, easy answer is you watch the rest of the postseason, and perhaps you you gamble a little bit. And since uh, there's only one place to get in on this action, Mike, and it's betonline.ag, you can get on there. You can do bet on the games, live betting, virtual casino, you name it. BetOnline.ag is CLNS's media preferred sports book online. If you're feeling lucky and you want to support the podcast, head on to um, betonline.ag, put in promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's CLNS50, betonline.ag, your online sportsbook expert. And so I guess we're going to have a huge preview pod, Mike, later in the week mm-hmm. to really get into the bucks. So before we get into there... I'm more curious for your thoughts on this series and what we actually learned from a Celtics perspective. We knew they were going to win, or we thought we knew they were going to win, but what what can we actually... Some people didn't a, think they were going to win. <laughs> some people who who really doubted this team didn't think they were going to win. But what, what were your biggest takeaways that we can actually get moving forward from this team versus stuff that, like, the Pacers aren't good, so that's not going to continue? The Pacers aren't good. That is true. <laughs> they have no crunch time offensive options that are, are, are suitable for postseason play. That is true. But like any time that you sweep any any team in a, in a playoff series, I think that it's impressive, honestly. Um, particularly in a 4-5 matchup. And if you're the Celtics, there's a lot of positive takeaways that, that come from this. Uh, the success that you had in spurts with Al Horford at the five, the way that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown asserted themselves. Uh, Tatum in particular, he, I mean, he was consistent throughout the series on both ends. Uh, he brought it, um, uh, really attacked the basket as we discussed earlier with those free throws in game four and earlier on in the series. Uh, his defense on Darren Collison was, was tremendous, I thought, consistently. And... Um, yeah, and and and, and Jalen filling in for Marcus Smart, uh, that was huge. I mean, he was a big question mark in my eyes coming into the series, and you know there was a like there is an alternate universe where Bogdanovich averages thirty in this series. There really is, and I sure. thought that Jalen did a tremendous job on him. And we we discuss role acceptance all the time with regards to this team, and Jalen accepted his role for the most part. He was out there. Uh, that was another positive takeaway. And then did, we, 
Okay. Going back to going back to Tatum, Mike, do you feel like he's a clear cut number two now? Like after four games, like do you feel like that's gonna kind of carry over, or do you think that was more of, of the fact of matchups in this series? Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know how you. I think it's all matchups with this team. To be yeah. honest, I think it's number one. One number one is clear. It's Kyrie Irving, and then. You know, the number two matchup on a given night could be Horford. The number two matchup could be Tatum. It could be Gordon. Um, it really depends on how the defense is, is keying in on Kyrie and, and how the Celtics are responding to it. Uh, but I really love, uh, you know, it's really, it's interesting because like subjectively, who who are you most confident with? This is a different way to look at it, but who are you most confident with the ball in their hands besides Kyrie on this team? To like create, just to, to do anything. Like, how, do what anything? are you feeling? Like, like, yeah, you're like this guy will make the right decision. This guy will make the right shot. This guy will make the right pass. There's like who who on the team in the fourth quarter, five minutes left of a tie ball game. Are you like okay, this guy needs to? Uh, it's it's a good thing that this guy has the ball in his hands. Yeah, I mean. It's a tough choice for me, and I think that's it, that's a good thing because mm-hmm. it's like I do trust in you do trust in Horford, you do trust in Hayward now, and Tatum in the postseason is looks like a not a completely different guy, but just his decision making has been a lot better, like in terms of shot selection. I feel like so to be honest, I'm pretty comfortable with any of those guys again, and I'd be more just deferring, like you said, just to who's got the weakest guy on them. Like who? Where? Where's the mismatch? That's where you want to go, and any of those three guys, I'm totally good with. Yeah, I mean it's 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 uh, it's really interesting. I I I'm increasingly comfortable with Gordon running the offense and just kind of dictating what happens from there. And I think that when you have him as your de facto primary playmaker, and you let you know like. There's actions you can run on the weak side with Kyrie coming off a Horford, uh, a Horford pin down or a Horford flare, where uh, like that just is it's so devastating to defend because you're already worried about Gordon and what he can do on one side of the court, and then you got to worry about Kyrie, who's the team's best player, on the other. So uh, I think I agree with you totally. It's it's a really it's a good problem to have. Um, that being said, it just it wouldn't surprise me at all if Tatum, uh, you know, finished the postseason as Boston's second leading scorer. I think that 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 should be happening. I don't know if that necessarily means he's the second option. I, I mean, I, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty hard for. So he's at nineteen point three. Guess yeah. what the next number is? Probably like 13, 12. 12.3 with Gordon. Mm. So like, he's that's. And he's again shot attempts like eighteen for Kyrie, fourteen for Tatum. Next is eleven for Al, which I think is great too. And those are the only three guys averaging in double figures for shot attempts per game. Mm, again, that's interesting. All yeah. good news because <laughs> those are. I mean, you can get Gordon a little bit higher up that list too, but right. the right guys are getting the shots, and I think that was a big part of this series, this sweep. So, what are your thoughts on on the takeaways? And takeaways. Yeah, so there's, I think there's a bunch of meaningful takeaways from this series, actually, despite the opposition. I, I like the fact, again, that most of the games are close. So they actually, like, you know, 
were tested and had to like figure some stuff out on, on the fly, face some adversity. Um, the starting lineup, the original starting lineup coming back into the fold. So I actually wrote about this on Friday. I'm not sure if you saw it, Mike, but guess how many minutes the the Kyrie, Jalen, Hayward, Horford, Tatum group played since they were disbanded as a starting five, like during the regular season? 50. Eight. <laughs> Eight minutes over six games in the final 66 games of the regular season. And they've doubled or almost tripled that in this series. Obviously they closed it out with that group in games two and three. They played it a bit, actually, I think in the first half of game four didn't go as well. And then obviously Mook got the, the nod over Jalen, but just seeing that, you know, come back to life essentially in this series and having some success with it is, is huge because that I just, just looking at the numbers for that group, Mike, they were, they were always elite defensively, even when they were sucking in the first half, you know, the first 20 games of the year, it was the offense that sucked for them. And now everyone's kind of in a better place on the offensive end, I feel like, and you saw what they can do. Yeah. So they were plus four in 13 minutes. Uh, I think I'm not sure if this is updated here, but um, is that accurate? Yeah, that, that sounds right. Okay. Uh, which is, that's, Good to see. I, I think that you know that we 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 that was kind of the big one of the big talking points we had heading into the playoffs was the trump card of of that lineup and how devastating it can be against most teams when everything is everybody's firing in all cylinders. I tweeted yesterday like the Celtics are basically like I don't know how you defend them when Gordon is playing like he is, because Gordon obviously was a completely different player when, when that lineup was the starting lineup earlier in the season, like a complete shell of himself. Right. And today where he is, however, I don't know you want to, what, what percentage you want to say he is to being back to the all-star that he was. And I'd say it's pretty damn close. It's really difficult to defend the Celtics when he's like that. And then you have Kyrie who's at the peak of his powers you have Tatum coming into his zone, and you have Al Horford, who's just you know one of the more important players in the entire postseason. It's just it's it's a it's a lineup that is definitely worthy of championship contention, and it'll be really interesting to see you know how often they lean on it in the next series. So why do you think though that that's why do you think Brad did Brad when Rich brought this up to his credit, Rich mm-hmm. thought that Brad was hiding this lineup for the postseason. Do you believe that? Or do you think that, again, obviously Smart had kind of, had played so well for most of the year that he was obviously going to play crunch time every game and so the the opportunity never arose because it's like, what, are you going to bench Smart? I think there's a couple of factors, right? I think that you don't go back to it because it didn't work. Like there's the PTSD factor, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, and the thing is, he he leaned on it so like they played 145 minutes together in those 15 games. So they 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 he ran it into the ground in those games to the detriment of the team, obviously. No, um, and early I, on, I think that Brad probably suspect. I mean, I thought heading into the season that the team could not reach its full potential without that lineup. 
like being a juggernaut. And I think that maybe Brad thought the same thing. Maybe he thought that it was just so key for Gordon to integrate with Kyrie and Horford and Tatum and Jalen. And, you know, you just, you look at that lineup on paper and it is, it is the best, not, it's not the best lineup in the league, but it is, it's one of the five best in terms of talent, in terms of balance, in terms of fit that you can really have. I mean, it's on both ends. It's just such a, such a devastating lineup. So I, I think that that's a factor. Obviously, Mark, you, you brought up Marcus Smart. You definitely didn't want to limit his minutes. He was just a really impactful player in turning their season around. Um, but I do think that there's a little bit of maybe Brad, maybe it was partially him hiding it and partially him wanting to go back to it, but fearing that if it was bad, then he couldn't go back to it. <laughs> yeah, like he had one more chance. Right. And yeah, I mean, it, it, cause it is wild. Like I understand like the PTSD thing makes so much sense, but like playing it for just eight minutes together. And he obviously gave it like random spots in a couple games, but never, never like a prolonged stretch. It does make me kind of go to Rich's side of being like, he was waiting. He like, he wanted to make sure all the variables were right in place. And obviously we're smart out of the equation. I feel like, was smart out of the picture like the decision was made for him here like right you had to go to it like so but that i think is a huge again development for this and i mean smart i still you know he did a workout over the weekend apparently but what what yeah what workout is like what like shooting shooting jumpers when you're in the stationary like yeah what are the details of this workout that the he, brad didn't know them conveniently so that, like, okay. I, I'm, I'll go on, like, I'll be very surprised if he returns in this Buck series. Like, I just don't, I think it's given from just talking to sports medicine people, which I did an article on bostonsportsjournal.com, like, it, it just said, like, it's a return four to six weeks to basketball activities. So getting back to basketball activities and, and then, jumping into a series against the toughest team in the league or in the East anyway, like that's a pretty big difference. So I think this is the lineup that you're probably is probably going to be your go-to lineup a lot in this buck series. Yeah. the I mean, yeah, this series is going to be really interesting. Um, I have another takeaway though. Okay. Which relates into our stat of the week. Perfect. So Marcus Marcos down. Terry Rozier, I feel like, was do you, is it safe to say he'd be on the fringe of the rotation if Smart was healthy in the playoffs, like, like maybe serving like a Tice role, like getting a chance and then getting the plug pulled on him if he wasn't, you know, playing well in a certain game. I think it's fair. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah, I think it's either it was almost either him or Jalen, to be honest. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's definitely fair. So obviously, Smart goes out. Terry realizes okay I, i'm definitely gonna play now and while his offense against the pacers wasn't great he had a good really good game for it but he only shot you know 33 percent from three in the series um 37 from the field this is the number that uh stands out to me mike uh out of everyone in the nba postseason terry rosier had the best defensive rating allowing the celtics are holding opponents to 84 points per 100 possessions, which is just absurd. 
um, during that's the a, seventy-five during the seventy-five minutes that Rosier has been on the floor. That's a ridiculous number. And this is huge. This is again like the Pacers aren't great, but Terry, you know, Carlson and Corey Joseph and Aaron Holiday, like they're not great point guards, but they're they're respectable. And Rozier, like, didn't play lockdown against him, but he was very good. He the ball pressure was there. He fought through pick and rolls. He rebounded his ass off, and that again helped the Celtics win a couple games in this series. And I don't know, like, we just hadn't seen this out of Rozier all year. And I know playoff Terry's a different guy, but I guess I forgot that he could kind of do this on the defensive end when engaged. Do you think Eric Bledsoe? had fun watching the Celtics Pacers series, just getting, we were talking about PTSD again. Like, um, (laughs) that's just not a, he didn't have a lot of really good memories. No, Um, no, he didn't. And he's been able to tool on Reggie Jackson for the first round. Um, so that, again, this is, Terry's got a big series coming up here. And, you know the Bucks are going to pick the hell out of Kyrie when he's out there, but Terry could kind of take some pressure off him a little bit on Bledsoe and also against George Hill, who obviously the Celtics saw plenty of last year as well. Both those guys played very well in round one, and Terry's defense, I think this is a huge thing because I don't think, I think he's going to have to defend like he did in this series to have for the Celtics to have a chance against the Bucks. Yeah, Terry Terry is definitely an X-factor in the series. Um, just looking real quick at some lineup numbers, uh, I thought it was it, it's pretty interesting to me that, again, this is such a small sample, but to your point with your stat, B-Rob, uh, Boston's defensive rating with Rogier on the floor and Kyrie off the floor was 72. <laughs> Uh, Kyrie's on the floor when they're together. That was, and that was 10 seven minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah seven, 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes a game. Yeah. Um, and then eight and a half, uh, when they're together, and it was 95.5, which is still good enough to be right. the best defense in the league. Um, I do think, again, a ton of this is because the Pacers, the Pacers are the Pacers. Are, they're trash. They're, they're, they're just, it's really difficult for them to generate and manufacture consistent offense. And they missed a ton of makeable shots in the series, um, which, yeah, so that, that skews the numbers. Um, the Bucks are a much better shooting team, uh, a much more confident team. Um, but I do think that it, it'll be really interesting how often uh, and to what degree they can be successful, Kyrie and Rogier together. I, 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 I'm intrigued by, by the Celtics when those two are on the floor together because... Um, like Rogier isn't someone who you can completely leave alone on offense. You know, he's not necessarily going to space, but he is when engaged on the offensive glass, uh, like such a pest. You, you like you need to put a body on him. You can't just kind of let him roam around. And I don't know. I mean, the offense wasn't great when those two were on the floor, and it wasn't great in general when Rogier was in the game. But it would be he could, good he's at least if there was... a, he's a catch and shoot threat, which is like as long as he he takes there... those instead of the pull ups, I think that's what's key with him. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, and just getting down when he gets downhill and the kickouts, uh, you know, he had 
I think one of the more memorable plays for me in the entire series was when Rogier drove left, kind of left his feet, wasn't sure, and watching it, wasn't sure what he was doing, and then somehow kicked out to Kyrie at the top of the key for an open three. It was one of the better passes, I thought, that Rogier made this entire season. And, you know, they'll need plays like that out of him where he just kind of semi pulls it out of his ass, but also does things because he's so acrobatic and physically gifted. Can he go up without falling down on a layup, though? I was talking about this with uh, some writers uh, during a, 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 a during a Sixers practice, actually. I forget how it came up, but we were just talking about guys who fall over a ton, and I was like, Terry Rozier falls down. I, for my money, I want to know the stats, but uh, he falls down more than anybody in the league per, like, touch, I would say. <laughs> it's got to be 90%. It's got to be up there. Luckily, again, when he busts his ass to get back, it doesn't matter, but you would hope that he doesn't do it too much against the Bucks. You know why he like speaking from a per- personal experience as a, like when I played basketball, I would fall over on layup attempts because I had no confidence that the ball is going to go in, <laughs> and so you kind of are. It's like a built-in excuse. The trigger. Yeah, it's like oh, like look how hard this shot was. Like I fell over. Like you yeah. shouldn't. That you shouldn't be expecting the ball to go in, and I I feel like that is somewhere because he falls over when no one touches yeah him. exactly the under like he made a couple layups were like uncontested and he's still falling over and you're just like all right man like it's also really really bad for your transition defense like right. they, that, they, that's they why gotta be telling him like don't do that that's it's bad right like he again that's kind of he's out of control and when you're out of control you fall and then that leads to transition problems so yeah that i feel <laughs> Whatever drills they're going to run might just be like, stay on your feet drills for Terry (laughs) after layups. Um, As far as like any final takeaways, I mean, Kyrie did what he expected. We expected there. I don't think there was anything, you know, his assist rate was really good in this series, which I think is encouraging as well. The fact that he, he wasn't deferring, you know, he was willing to defer, I should say, when the doubles came and didn't try to like play through them and get up shots anyway, I thought it was pretty good. That's a good sign. Um, since that I feel like has been an issue at times in his career where he just mm-hmm. is committed to getting the ball up. And then, I mean, yeah, like it's Marcus Morris up and down roller coaster at same story there. Do you think Alfred, this rebounding of Horford, do you think this is sustainable? against the Bucks' monster front line. Like, is this just a flash in the pan? I'll give you the numbers. He's averaging, um, if you look at the per 36 minutes in the postseason, he's averaging 10.7 rebounds per 36, which is, for him, a huge number. I think his regular season number on that front was... Bira, I have a better stat for you. 8.4. Let's hear it. On and offs for rebound rate for the Celtics mm. in the series with Horford on the floor, 58.3. Yep. Good. When he was off, 48.1. Ooh. 48.1 for a total rebound rate when Al Horford was off the floor. That is atrocious. That's like, bad. that is, uh, 
like I, yeah, that's just, you will lose if your rebound rate is 48, you will not win any basketball games. Um, so do you feel like against just, I feel like part of it in this series was they could just tell Horford, Hey man, we don't really need you on offense as much. Just go like bust your ass and rebound because everyone else like Kyrie Tatum, et cetera, can kind of handle the, the scoring. Will that be his job here? Or are they going to have to like run stuff through him more? to kind of pull him away from the hoop. Well, I mean, I would imagine without going too deep into it, that he is going to be the primary defender on Giannis. Although now that I'm mm. thinking, no, no, now, uh, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, like a little deeper than I was 10 seconds ago, <laughs> I think that we'll see, I think, you know, we'll see semi in this series. Right. And, okay. and I think that if, if, if he can, if he can make Giannis work individually in the half court, stop him in transition, pick him up in transition, um, and you have Horford on Brook Lopez, I that's a real, a huge swing in the Celtics' favor um, right. because I don't think Baines can. Baines is not that comfortable. I mean, Brook Lopez is taking. Brook Lopez not only like spaces the floor from 30 feet, but they run plays to get him 30 foot threes. Yeah. Like it's silly how good he is and how important he is. I mean, um, he's going to be a tough cover for Horford out there. Like, yeah, but I, I, yeah, he, he's a tough cover for any big just because moving in space, like it's, it's tough, but, um, Baines, I, I feel like would have just no chance. Like if you're what if I, I don't blame anyone who's not watching the series, but, Andre Drummond defending oh Brooke Lopez is one of the big tragedies of our time. Like it's just, <laughs> it does not work out for him. And that's why no one's going to trade for that contract. Mm. Or anyone who okay. wants to uh, win. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. And again, we'll talk about this much more later this week. I'm fascinated how Brad Stevens comes out of the gate with a starting five in the series. Do you go... You stick with Baines. You put Baines on Giannis to start games to, to see if you can escape with that. Do you go to Shemi right away, like the last three games in last year's first round, where he was pretty critical, obviously, to slowing Giannis down and getting that series for the Celtics? Or do you just throw you throw Gordon in there and you say, all right, Bucks. Gordon? Gordon. Yeah. You, mm. just, you just literally... Like, you have, you just, you say, we're going to, like, stretch you guys out and get Brooke off the floor. And we'll put a Horford on Giannis, and then we'll, like, you know, we'll we'll you'll, we'll chase Brooke with someone who, like, tall, like Tatum or something like that, and, like, live with you trying to post him up. Like, real, I don't think he'll do that out of the gate, because that's pretty crazy, but... When as the chess match goes on in the series, I think that's like an option. I think that okay, so we everyone's talking about Giannis and deservedly so he's going to win MVP. But um, who do you think is the starting? Who starts out on Middleton? Is it Jalen? Do they do they put and then like yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get a lot deeper into all this. But like just pondering it aloud now before the Bucks even technically advance, like. 
Who guards Middleton because Marcus Smart is not available? Um, where do you put Kyrie? These are all just really interesting questions because the Bucks have it's not even close to the same team that the, the Celtics faced in the first round last year. Right. Cause like, do you, I mean, I feel like Jalen by default goes to Middleton and then you have to make a choice about Eric Bledsoe, whether you like throw Tatum there or you, you, you make Kyrie deal with that. Um, can Jalen guard Bledsoe do you think? And then you put Tatum on Middleton. Yeah. I mean, that's an option too. And then you can hide Kyrie on, on Brown. Um, and then again, obviously the Malcolm Brogdon X factor is a big thing here because he's supposed to come back, and Tony Snell hasn't been one hundred percent either. He, I think, hasn't really played at all against the Pistons. No, I, they're they're saving him, I assume. That's uh, why I think, yeah, I think that you put Kyrie on Sterling Brown or Tony Snell or or plug in whoever's going to be that fifth starter. But yeah. um, I think I think they start Jalen on on Middleton um, and. But I, I do think that Tatum is the better matchup, and and you just want to avoid foul trouble. There is probably why you don't you don't go to it. But it it'll be it'll be really interesting to see just how all of this shakes out, and we'll have a ton more for you guys later this week about it. Um. All right. Let's uh let's wrap things up here with an over under, and go around the NBA really quickly. Uh, over under, Mike. How many series in the first round? Go seven games. The over-under number is 0. 0.5. I'm going over. I, so I, I think you're going Spurs-Nuggets is your... That feels like a series that was destined to go seven. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that's... It wouldn't surprise me if both like road teams won game five and game six. Based on that series is gone. Um, just two teams that... With, like, I've obviously, I think Denver has the talent edge, but the Spurs have the experience and they have Greg Popovich. They have Derek White. They have Derek White. They have Tamar DeRozan trying to get over his demons. Um, yeah. It's, that's going to be a drag out affair. I, I am disappointed that the, I think Sixers Nets at 2 2 would have been amazing. And it probably should have been there, barring some tough crunch time stuff there you were there for games three and four mike we need to get for some story time about the the fight there and then your thoughts on how that series has played out since we both like the nets in that series yeah so yeah i was there and that was the best game i've covered since game one of last year's finals i think i'll say um in person Mm -hmm. uh it was, it just had it, it had everything. It was like it had the brawl, um, Dudley going nuts. The crowd was. I mean, Barclays Center is not known for having an engaged crowd at all. Um, the crowd was tremendous. Uh, just a real playoff atmosphere, and you know, big shots were were taken and made, and uh, Embiid was. You know, there was drama before the game with whether or not he would play, and a t- maybe a tiny bit of gamesmanship. Although Brett Brown denies that there was anything and he truly finds out five minutes before a tip if it's going to play. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was great. Like Simmons booed so loud every time he touched the ball. Um, I think the reaction to Dudley getting ejected was, was, 
you know, everyone kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, but go, but, but, but Butler getting ejected was like, it was almost like a gasp on, on media row where I was sitting like that, that didn't, I mean, looking on TV, B-Rob, what did you like? He just, he escalated it. Sure. I guess. But also like. It's like a weak ejection, a weak ejection for a playoff game. But I, I, again, I think it's all—it was all just the location on the floor. I think it was all because it was like in the stands. In the stands, I think if it was at any other part of the floor, that no one gets ejected, and everyone gets texts and gets sent on their way. But Dudley lost his mind. It was so great. Yeah. I mean, he was such a hero. Like, uh, yeah, um, it's kind of weird how impactful he's been on this series. Um, and, uh, I was the one who asked him the question about, uh, forget if I've already said this on the pod before, told so many people. He said the off air, but no, we should get credited on the air. Yeah. Ben Simmons. Yeah. I was the one who asked, I'm writing the story I guess anyone could guess what it's about, but, um, I asked Dudley about Simmons and blah, blah, blah. And that's how he gave the answer that Simmons was average in the half court. And by the way, like his answer was very long. It was like, and it was a lot of it was complimentary. So it was really funny how, you know, there's a tweet and then then there's a practice the next day and Simmons is asked about a tweet and like everything is just taken out of context. And it's, it's all hilarious to me. It is. I mean, that's again, super fun series. I hope that Brooklyn steals one tonight that we get some drama and beyond the nuggets. Um, Spurs series because I don't think we're getting anything else. Um, looking around the rest of the league with all the everyone else at three one or three zero. Um, all right, let's wrap up with some updated championship odds, courtesy of BetOnline.ag. Um, again, if you're interested in any of these, you can count on CLNSmedia.com/slash um, winning plays and use promo code CLNS50 for 50% cashback bonus on your first deposit. Uh, Warriors still favored heavily 4-7 to seven to win the title, but some movement on here, Mike. Uh, Bucks 5-1, to one, Rockets 11-2, to Raptors 12-1, to one, and the Boston Celtics uh, not too far behind the Raptors, 14-1 to one after their first round sweep. You like those odds? I don't hate those odds. Um, I, I, I'm surprised the Celtics are that high, that close to the Raptors. I would say, um, given the path, given the fact they're going to have to go through both those teams. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you wonder how how like the how much the size of a fan base influences this stuff. Obviously I'm surprised that the Lakers don't have odds. uh, Frankly. (laughs) Um, And I don't know, like I I personally think the Rockets are going to win the title this year. And those are those odds that they have are actually like, I don't know. I might be, might be placing a wager. We'll see what happens. I would say you, I mean, if you feel that good about it, you should, uh, should get in on that. Before yeah. they go up, before they steal a first game in uh in Oakland. If I was trying to make real money, I I love Spurs. <laughs> Spurs. This is good. I'm gonna regret saying this. I love Spurs one fifty to one. That is <laughs> that's that's a crazy. Those are crazy odds, man. Like I don't think I, that's crazy. 
I can see the. I can't. I I can talk myself into a path here. Let's just say, like, like the Spurs beat the the Rockets after the Rockets beat the Warriors. That's the only thing I could. Yes, exactly. Say. It's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need the Warriors to go down. You need, uh, like, Pop owns Dan Tony, um, and then I don't know whoever comes out of the East. The Spurs are just the Spurs. Like they do have. Now that Derek White has ascended to become, you know, the one of the best uh, point guards in the postseason, um, they have three guys who are like pretty good, can create their own shot. Uh, they have spacers. They have pop. Uh, I don't know, like the Spurs, one fifty to one. Those are crazy odds. I mean, that is crazy if the Nuggets are thirty three to one for the Spurs to be one fifty to one. I agree with that. Hey, yeah. listen, put put a dollar down, man. I know I should. Like, why not? Um. All right, so that's that for the odds. We're going to be back with you guys at full strength here, uh, likely on Thursday for just a monster uh, preview breakdown of the Celtics Bucks series. Um, going through, again, ton of different decisions that Brad Stevens and his staff are going to have a full week to kind of unpack and figure out where they want to attack, who's going to guard who. It's going to be fascinating, Mike. I'm really excited about this. I'm pumped. So stay tuned there. Obviously, if you're still listening, um, please, again, follow Winning Plays Pod on Twitter, at Winning Plays Pod. Subscribe to us. Rate us on iTunes. um, Review us. Really appreciate all. Every little thing helps um, on that front. And, yeah, we'll be back on Thursday with the preview and look forward to uh a week of is this going to be painful hype mike is this going to get old or never are we gonna no never this should be enjoyable hype for the next week so yeah um <laughs> we'll be looking forward to that uh and looking forward to thursday